God bless you. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're going to go into the word of the Lord here this morning. I've got some things to, to pass along to you. And uh, we appreciate you very much. Amen. Uh, I want to talk to you from the second chapter here. I'm going to start with the, the, the latter part of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. We are now studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I want you to look with us in the 18th verse. This is sort of recapping what we looked at, a review of what we looked at last week. And uh, we, talk, we ended by talking about the wisdom of God. And I want to talk to you further about it because this is a very important thing to understand in the Word of God. I've got some very good things to give you. Uh, the wisdom of God comes by the Spirit. It comes by the Spirit. Paul brings this out, and we'll be looking at it in a few moments. This is why the Holy Ghost is so important in our lives. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. Uh, ghost is the old English word for it, and that's what's in our Bibles. So we often use it because it's a Bible phrase. And uh, it, 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 with the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, we are able to have the wisdom of God, and in God's wisdom will come to us as we walk with God and serve the Lord. And I, I want to read these verses of Scripture to you here in the 18th verse, because the wisdom of God is not looked at by the world as wisdom. And I'm going to read some verses to you here, and then we're going to look at uh, the Scriptures here a little bit. For the preaching of the cross, this is verse 18, 118 of 1 Corinthians. 118 of 1 Corinthians. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That is the preaching of the cross. So preaching and preaching Jesus Christ to the world, to the world is, is foolishness. I can remember years ago reading a psychology book, and I, they had a picture in there of some guy that was up preaching in the psychology book. I'm not knocking psychology here. My, as you would know, my wife's a psychologist. But uh, anyhow, in this psychology book, it shows this guy preaching, and his tie is pulled out, and he's, you know, shaking his fist and going like that, you know. And they had a little, little cartoon drawing of this preacher, and they were really making fun or light of the preaching of the gospel. In other words, psychology is so smooth and so, so savvy, you know what I mean? And uh, here's the guys pre just preaching the word of God, and they made light of it. They make fun of it. It's in the book, you know, it's in that textbook that I had. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that is because this is the way the world looks at preaching a lot of times. So this verse of scripture here says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us is the power of God. I'm going to read the 19th verse as well, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is what God says. Now, I'm going to talk to you about God's wisdom here in a little bit and give you some understanding or hope to try to share with you some things that I feel like I have picked up along the way about God's wisdom and how it operates and works in our personal individual lives and in the church. It goes on to say here, verse 94, it is written, I will, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? The foolishness, the wisdom of the world. In other words, to them it's wise, but to us it's foolish. 
just to interject this one thing here, the whole theory of, of evolution, the whole theory of evolution is foolishness. It's foolishness. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Well, the evolutionists read that verse of scripture, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. He said, that's talking about me, and I'm not a fool. I'm a wise man. I have, a, you know, degrees, and I have all kind of education, and I have this and I have that. So I'm a very smart man, and I believe in evolution. I believe we evolved from a, a one-cell amoeba, you know, some little one-cell protozoa amoeba, you know, just in the pop. They're little old things, you know, they swim around the water, and then they pop open, and there's two of them, you know. And, and he goes, and that's what we evolved from that. That's how it all started, you know. And so, and, and, and in, the, in, the, in the world billions of years ago, and they always say, you know, the world evolved. Everything's evolved. Evolved from what? From where? From who? You know? Somewhere back there, there had to be a time when there was nothing. Where did something come from? That's what I always ask. I say, all right, go back as far as you want to go back. But all this masses in the heavens, back, where did that all come from? You know, it had to begin someplace. They said Big Bang Theory. They get all kind of theories and all that. Can I just tell you here, the Bible is true. The Bible is right. And in my reading and studying of the life of Christ, I found out that Jesus confirmed the Bible of the Old Testament over and over again. He said in the beginning, he said God made man. He made male and female. Jesus said that. Well, if Jesus said it, I believe it because I believe everything Jesus said, right? And, every, and so I believe the word of the Lord. You say, well, the Old Testament is this and that. Can I just say here, the Lord says in Romans, and Paul says this in Romans 1, uh, chapter 1. Uh, he says that the heavens, praise the Lord, are the handiwork of God. By looking at the heavens, by looking at things that are present, we understand the wisdom of God and the hand of God is God's handiwork. And everything. It's not just something that's in a little species. It's something that God has put there to cause that species to be able to survive. And if God hadn't put it there, it wouldn't survive. Praise the Lord. All these things, you know. I was thinking about the sea turtle not long ago. The sea turtle, you know, this, I guess this time of the year they do this. I guess it's the summertime. These female sea turtles that are, with, that are fixing to lay their eggs, they come up on the beach. And they crawl way up into the beach where, the, where, where it's sort of dry, the sandy. And they'll take those flippers and they dig a hole, probably as deep as this table is high, or if not all the way, half of it, something where's in there. And then they'll lay all those eggs in that hole, the little soft eggs, and they'll cover them all up. And then they swim back out in the sea and they're gone. Now, where did they learn that? Where did they learn that? They didn't learn it from their mama because their mama did the same thing. And she went back to the ocean and, and she just said, okay, that's it's left in the hands of God or whatever, whatever, however they think, you know. And then whenever those eggs come to the hatch, there was a little turtles will crawl up and I've seen them do it. I've seen it happen. They'll crawl up out of that sand and they'll, all of a sudden they'll start coming out of that sand like they're coming out of the sand. If you were a stranger on earth and you walked up and you saw these little things, you said, my God, the sand is producing turtles, little baby turtles. And they all head for the water. All head for the water. And it's a, it's a rush because there's birds waiting to pick them up, you know, and eat them and everything. So they don't, they don't all make it, but most of them do. And they get back into the sea. And then when they get in the sea, there's big fish waiting to catch them. You know? So anyhow, it's all balanced out. There'll be enough to survive for the next generation and so forth. But where did they learn that? 
it's God is programmed in them by God. God has put that wisdom in their minds and in their hearts or in their in their being, you know. And so in everything God has made, he has put this wisdom of his in there. And so that's what we're looking at here is the wisdom of God that is in everything. And the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And I'm going to read on down in the 21st verse here. Uh, it says, I'm reading here in 121 here of 1 Corinthians. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In all that worldly wisdom they had, they did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God uses even foolish things that we think of as the world thinks as foolishness to do the work that he does that is a great work. I talked last week about how I've known men who look like they were the last people on earth that God would ever choose to preach the gospel. And God chose them. I mentioned some of them to you last week at our general at our district conference uh, in Ocala last week. We had a man that come, came before our board to be licensed, uh, for license. And uh, many of you know him. Uh, he's the guy in the wheelchair. He's uh, very heavy, and he's in a wheelchair, and he plays the keyboard and sings. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Freddie. Freddie what? Clark, is that it? Combs. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Freddie Combs. I don't know why it slipped my mind. Freddie Combs. I know Freddie Combs. He's a very good guy. But he came before our board to be licensed for a minister. Well, he's preaching this church. He plays music and he preaches. And he has tremendous results wherever he goes. He uh, was once in the Church of God, I think. And he decided to come into the United Pentecostal Church and receive baptism in the name of Jesus and all of those kind of things. He first went to an apostolic church in Titusville. Not Titusville, but in, in Merritt Island, where John Johnson had put together a big crusade type of a rally type service and had rented an auditorium and put it all together. Just that one service is all there he ever had there in Merritt Island. But in that service is where Freddie Combs went. And he heard the gospel and God moved on him. And he said, this is what I've got to have. I've got to have the Holy Ghost like this, that spirit of God. And so he was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. So he came before the board. Of course, the board unanimously voted him in. But when you look at him, he's in a wheelchair. He moves in a wheelchair. He, he, he can maybe walk a short distance and so forth. But I'm just saying God uses anybody any way he wants to for his glory, for his cause, and for his purpose. Everybody say praise the Lord. So by the foolishness of preaching, God has chosen. Verse 27 here, I'm going to move down. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And here's the reason, verse 29, and if you have your Bible, put a ring around it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And God would say, I will use the foolishest things of this world to accomplish my purpose if that's what I have to do to show men that their wisdom doesn't mean squat. It doesn't mean anything with God. Praise the Lord. So this is what is brought out to us here in chapter uh, one about God's wisdom superseding the wisdom of the world. Now, when you go to chapter two, he goes into the fact that it's by the spirit that the spirit 
that the, that the wisdom of God comes. So if you look with me in chapter 2 and verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. So he was saying here that when I came preaching to you, I did not try to appeal to you in the wisdom of man. Now, why is he talking to that to the to the Corinthian church? Because the Corinthian church was in the very center of Greece. And the Greek people were strong believers on wisdom because they felt they were the beginners of wisdom. And they had they had the philosophers, the old Greek philosophers that they held to their philosophy and uh, Alexander the Great had promoted the, the Greek culture and then died and then the Greek culture was promoted all over the then known world at that time. So the Greeks felt themselves to be wiser and smarter than anyone else. And uh, they had these Greek philosophers who would philosophize, people would gather around their feet and listen to all of their philosophizing. And uh, there was, their gods were pagan gods, they were heathen gods. That's why when Paul went to Athens, which is the largest city in Greece, I think it's the capital. When he went to Athens, Greece, and he went to Mars Hill, and he saw that statue to the unknown God because they had so many gods that they worshiped. He said, I'm going to preach to you about this unknown God. And so he preached unto them, Jesus Christ, he's the unknown God. You don't know him, but he's really the God that you need to be knowing about. And so he preached unto them, Jesus Christ, the unknown God. So I'm just trying to tell you here that their wisdom, they thought, put them in first place in mankind. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, to who were Greeks, he was saying to them, it's not by man's wisdom. You've got to understand there's more to it than that. There's the wisdom of God. And so he goes on to say here in verse 5, this is 2-5 now of 1 Corinthians, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he was saying to them, don't try to trust in the man's wisdom. Sad to say, uh, years later, I mean, like uh, decades later, not, not a lot of years, but decades later, there were men who began to rise up. Uh, they were Greek philosophers or had studied Greek philosophy, and they became Christians, and they were saved. And then they reached back and tried to pull in Greek philosophy into the Christian faith to enhance the Christian faith. You understand what I mean? They were called, uh, they, they were called Gnostics. And uh, there's another word, agnostic. Agnostic has a little bit different twist to it. But the Gnostics, the Gnostics themselves, they believed that these people uh, had wisdom and had knowledge and that therefore we should include the philosophers and their philosophy in the Christian faith. And so they began to mix that. That's how the whole Trinity concept came about in that Nicene Council in 325 A.D. later. It all came about because there were all of this philosophizing and where do we put this stuff? Where do we, where do we separate it? And the real true believers would say, let's stay with the Old Testament. They even, the philosophers even said, well, the philosophers had as much of the anointing of God as the prophets of the Old Testament in the Jewish faith had, in the Jewish religion. And so they were really getting off out and left field with this stuff. 
And so they were called Gnostics, or, and it was called Gnosticism. So anyhow, this is what Paul even was beginning to deal with a little bit here because they were trying to bring in this Greek philosophy. He says, not that, the Spirit of God, by the power of God, and he always promoted that. That's why you read a lot about that in the epistles. Folks, let me just say here today, that's still where it stands. It is in the Spirit of God and the power of God. Paul says, I don't come to you with the philosophies of men or the wisdom of men. I come to you strictly by the spirit of God and the wisdom that comes only from the Lord. And God's foolishness is greater than the wisdom of man. So he points all that out. We've already talked about it. Now, look at verse 7. This is interesting. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. We speak of that, he said. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this, this mystery of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, this mystery of God. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And uh, he, he did this that he might tell them and teach them and let them understand about the mystery of God. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me for a moment over here to the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians, and this is chapter 3. This is Paul writing again, chapter 3 and verse 3. Ephesians 3, 3. And uh, they, these people upstairs, God love them. They are so quick with this screen up here to get the scriptures to you to help us out. Thank you so much for what you folks do every Sunday. We appreciate it. 3-3. Three, three. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. I'm going to talk to you. What is the mystery he's talking about here? That was known from the very beginning, hidden by the Lord. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then which, of course, Paul then passes on along to those Gentile people. And here's what it is, verse 6. If you've got, you got your Bible, put a ring around it. This is the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That is, the Gentiles with the Jews can be partakers of the same thing. In other words, what God promised to Israel, and Israel as a nation rejected, but as a people, there were many people that were, as you know, the early church was Jews, but there were many Jews that were saved, but, the, but Israel as a nation rejected Jesus Christ. So the gospel that was meant for Israel praise the Lord, and for the extension of Israel's knowledge and understanding about God and the saving of the world was passed along to the Gentiles. That's why the Lord said, I have come, praise the Lord, uh, to the lost sheep of Israel. That his whole ministry was all to Israel. But when he ascended into heaven, just before he ascended, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the world. And baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which we know to be Jesus. And then in Mark 16, 15, 16, 17, and 18, right in through there, he said, go in all the world and baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and they that believe and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just says in the name of the Lord. Go, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize. So what he was saying is go into everywhere, everywhere. 
And so here it is in the word of God, Jesus said it, and the Jews still didn't pick up on it until Peter went to the household of Cornelius, who was, a, uh, who was an Italian, a Gentile, and while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And with Peter, there was about 12 other disciples that went with him, and they all said, my Lord, God's giving the Gentiles the Holy Ghost like he gave it to us on the day of Pentecost and these other times that followed behind that. We know they have the Holy Ghost because they're speaking in tongues. That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's the initial physical evidence of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And so they all begin to, they begin to speak in tongues. And so he said, how are you? You know, he said, come on, you got the Holy Ghost now. Let's get you baptized. So he baptized all of them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. You can read it sometime. What I am pointing out to you here is that he did all of this in the spirit and in the power of God. And this was God's will and God's plan for Israel, praise the Lord, that they receive the Holy Spirit. And I mean, for, for, the, Jew, for the Gentiles, that they may receive the Holy Ghost and that they may be part of this family of inheritance of God's great kingdom. Now, let me say one word here, folks. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing. My forefathers did nothing. We have no right to it. But God in his grace and in his mercy. If we were to read the first chapter, here's what Ephesians 1, and this is a build up to it. This is Ephesians 1, verse 8. I'm sorry, 2, 8, 2, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. God gave his wonderful gift of grace to us. We didn't deserve it. And we received that grace by faith in us. In other words, God died for the whole world, but the whole world is not saved because the grace of God, that is the shedding of his blood and him dying on Calvary for the whole world, must be received by faith. Praise the Lord. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. But the faith, praise the Lord, gives us that extension of grace being applied to our lives. You understand what I'm saying? You can have two people walk in the church. Let's say they're, they're, they're brothers. They walk in the church. They hear the same message preached. They see me the same gospel preached. They hear the same preacher preaching it. And one of them says, I'm out of here. And the other one says, no, I'm going to go down to the altar and pray. And because he feels something in his heart, the other one feels something, but he says, no. I'm, I've rejected that. So he goes the other way. The other comes to the altar. One comes to the altar, receives the baptism of his spirit. He's baptized in Jesus' name. He becomes a child of God. The other one does not. You know, why? Because one received it by faith. One says, I, I believe what that preacher is saying. The other one says, I don't believe anything you say. You understand what I'm saying? That's the response. The application of the blood of Jesus Christ has to be applied to our personal lives. That's what the Passover was all about. They slew the lamb the night before they left Egypt. And when you're going to leave Egypt, that's leaving the world. That's symbolic. You're leaving the world. Uh, the blood has to be applied. And so the Lord said, apply the blood on the doorposts of the house and cross the lintel of the house. And when the death angel passes by, he will not take the oldest son of the family. Okay. The Israelites says, okay, God, we will do that through Moses. You know, okay, Moses, we'll do what God has told you to tell us to do. The Egyptian says, ha, we don't believe that stuff. You know, you go, well, that's some fairy tale. Where'd you get that story from? You know, they did not believe. They were not believe. The little boy says, dad, are you going to put blood on that doorpost of our house across the 
no, I'm not going to mess with that. I don't believe all that stuff. You understand what I'm saying? And the, the Egyptians didn't do it. And when the death angel passed at midnight over that, over Egypt, all the oldest sons of every family and every beast and every cattle and everything from the, from the Pharaoh right on down to the poorest people in Egypt, they all, the oldest son died. But that oldest son of all the Israelites never died because they had the blood applied to their house. You've got to have the blood of Jesus applied to your house. And you do that by faith. Faith, praise the Lord. And baptism is an act of faith. Repentance is an act of faith. When you believe, you act upon it. Praise the Lord. That's why the Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Not he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth and is baptized. Everybody still with me? Praise God. Amen. Let me move on here. I got a lot to give you. And I don't think I got all the time in the world to give it to you that I've got this morning. But God's word is so beautiful and so wonderful. Let me go back to uh, over here to uh, Corinthians for a moment. Uh, he says here in verse 12, I'm going to read from 12 on down to 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So by the spirit, we know these things, which things also we speak, not in the word, words of man's wisdom, that man's wisdom teacheth, but the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man verse 14 but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned this is why that we have to have the spirit of god to understand a lot of the natural of the, of the spiritual things of the lord let me uh let me have you go to matthew for a moment i want you to go to matthew 13 and uh, I want to show you something here. And I'll come back to Corinthians here in a moment. This 13th chapter of Matthew is very interesting because Jesus was speaking to the multitude in parables. And the Bible says that he gave them this parable. This is 3, 3, 13, 3 of Matthew. 13, 3. 13, 3 of Matthew. And he spake unto many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sword went forth to sow. Now, I'm not going to read all this to you, but I'll just tell you in essence. He says that when he sowed the seed, it was a sower. They, they were like a farmer. He just, they, they broadcast it. Broadcast it means they throw it into the wind, and the wind takes it. Wherever it lights, that's where the seed will grow. They used to sort of break up the, all the ground, break it all up, and then they just, they call it broadcasting the seed in, into the wind like this. And so that's what he was saying. Some seed fell on the wayside. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on thorns and some fell on good ground. And he was saying, according to the ground that the seed fell on is how it grew or whether it even grew at all. And then whenever he had said all that to the multitude and while he was saying it to the multitude, the multitude was hearing Jesus teach all that. And they were saying... <laughs> they were not into it. I'm serious. They were down, you know, looking at the sun. Where are we going to eat when we're all through? When he's through, where are we going to eat? You know? Okay. I'm not talking to anybody here. You understand that? <laughs> 
But here's what the Lord said whenever he came to break, when he was all through, in verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou to them in parables? Verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. It's not given. Look at verse 15. Here's the reason. I'm jumping to verse 15 here. We're at 13, 15 of Matthew. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. He's saying this is probably, but verse 16 says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears they hear. And then Jesus went on down a little further on down and I won't read all that he says here, but he gives the explanation of the seed falling on the ground. And he goes on to say to them, he says that the good ground is the seed that fell on good hearts. The ground is the hearts of men. The seed is the word of God. And the sower is the preacher or the preacher of the word. In this case, it was Christ. So he's sowing the seed. How will it fall? Who's going to listen? And uh, so if it fell on good ground, they would believe the word of the Lord and be saved. If they fell by the wayside, that is the trodden places where people walk like a trail through the, through the, through the farm. Uh, that that was where the seed would not grow. Some people would hear the word and it's over with. It's all over with. They never go any further. They went on to say that then there is also uh, the stony ground in which it falls on ground, but there's not much earth there. And so some seed will begin to grow and people will begin to live for God, but then they'll give up and quit because they don't have much depth in themselves. It says all in their own heart. You understand how it's our response to God's great grace and his love and mercy to us. This is faith is a thing we start with. Faith is a thing we continue. By faith, the just shall live for God. Just shall live by faith. Not just get saved by faith, uh, but faith we will live by. By, by faith, the, uh, the just shall live for God. And so here is an example. And then finally, there's the thorns where they fall among thorns and thorns choke them out so that the seed will grow. One day I'm going to give you a Bible lesson on this. There's a tremendous understanding here about people who are in the church and who remain saved, but they're not where God wants them to be. And I'll talk to you about it one time, give you a lot of scripture on it. But these, the thorns are those who continue to grow, but they were choked out so they did not bear fruit. And they were there and they were still there. So they're part of the kingdom of God, but they don't bear fruit. And then the good ground are those who produced and they became fruitful, fruitful in the spirit, bearing the fruit of the spirit and being fruitful in soul winning. Praise God. And I won't go any further into that. Only to say that this is one of the mysteries. Now, Jesus gave seven of these parables in chapters 13 here in this 13th chapter here of Matthew. And each one of them was a parable in the multitude out there with, when will he ever be through? You know, when will he get through with this? I'm hungry. Is he going to feed us like he fed the 5,000 men not long ago? You know what I'm saying? They were interested in the carnal things, but they were not interested in the spiritual thing. And the Lord was trying to give Some of them were listening very carefully to him. And they were saying, there's some depth here. I don't know what it is. But see, the spirit of God and the Holy Ghost 
gives us the understanding of those things gives us the understanding and that's what jesus was telling and that's why the apostles and prophets they understood the word of god they could read that old testament and they would say i understand now why all this was in there now i understand what the lord was trying to say i want to watch my clock okay i'm on i'm on good time now i understand what the lord is trying to say god is trying to tell us praise the lord that we should be spiritual and like for instance uh why did the children of israel come out of egypt the way they did it's a type of us coming out of the world the way we come out of the world and they understood that and uh they said why did they you know why did this happen what was the manna all about jesus said the manna uh i'm that manna that came down from heaven if you will receive it you know and uh jesus said so just as they had to receive the manna so you have to receive me i'm the bread of life and so anyhow there's many applications of spiritual things connected with the natural things he used farming he used leaven a woman may not understand about farming but she understands all about the leaven because she makes bread you know this was the olden days later today we buy light bread right or whatever we want to buy just bread at the store but they would mix all that together you know and put leaven in it and everything bacon powder whatever you put you know and they would mix yeast they mix it all into the bread women understood all that stuff so the lord said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto leaven amen and he went on to say that the kingdom of god you don't see some things working the bread gets bigger and bigger what makes it get bigger is the leaven that's in the bread so he says so it is with the church of god there's a working of the spirit of the lord you know among people and the church is growing but you don't see how you can go to church see the preacher preach but there's a lot of other things going on there's somebody testifying over the backyard fence to a neighbor there's somebody else praise the lord at a some kind of a meeting or club somebody says what is it that makes you different than everybody else well i'll tell you is what god gave me what is it tell me i'm looking for something anybody ever experienced something like that sure his hands all over and then you begin to tell them that's the leaven working praise god and that's why that we need to always be a witness so jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like an unto leaven he says like an unto a fisherman that go out and fish so he compared it to fishing and he could all kind of ways the lord compared natural things so in all the natural things of this world there is the wisdom of god that's hidden in that and the Lord made the, made the apostles and prophets to understand that so they could understand the mysteries of God. And now through the Holy Ghost, they also reveal it unto the church so that you and I, by seeing natural things, understand the spiritual things of God. Praise the Lord. Uh, I have these, I've told you the story before, but I have these uh, pink ladies growing in, in, my, in my little patio and my backyard there. I have a screened in section there. And I have these, uh, these pink ladies all growing behind these stones like. And uh, they grow up like that, you know. And uh, so Harry uh, Allison was over and uh, I said, Harry, would you take one of these and plant it right here? Okay, he did. Well, they started going, like they started bending over. I, and he said, I'm going to straighten that up, Brother Mike. So he puts a pipe next to it and ties it to the pipe. And it just keeps going up like this. And he keeps tying up, putting a longer stake on it. It's getting all taller and taller and taller. But I watched the ones that was behind the rocks that nobody did anything with. They grow up like that. And then that big bud on top. You ladies, how many of you know what pink ladies are? They're, they were beautiful red leaves that look like a big, big flower, actually. But it's not. It's just leaves. And it's, it's like a head. And then there's a little narrow thing. You think, why did God put such a little narrow stem on that thing? 
And, and I'm watching day in, day out. I'm watching all that. That thing grew up like that. Then it bend up. It began to bend over like this. I said, well, dear Lord, I mean, it's going to go to nothing. It's just bending over, you know. And then I saw the end of where the flowers are beginning to turn up. So it bent over and turned up. And then I saw sprouts coming up like this. So here's this, here's this bunch of flowers, or I call them flowers, of flowers of leaves. And then there's another one comes up, and there's another one comes up. And then there's another plant that bends over, and it starts doing that. And the next thing I know, I got a big forest of these pink ladies, and there's one, one over here that I'm trying to help is just growing taller and taller and taller and getting nowhere. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? In God's wisdom, he had put in that plant how that it would become bigger and greater and stronger and be more of them. By doing it God's way. <laughs> and I don't know, I looked at it and said, God, you're just awesome. And everything God does that, everything, whether it's a little old plant or whether it's a bug, you know, or whether it's, a, whether it's a, the stars in heaven or everything, there is the wisdom of God that's there. And in all those things, we can also see the wisdom of God in spiritual things, spiritual things. Amen. And that's what Paul understood. He could see these natural things and he began to see spiritual things. So God, this is how you, he said, I'm the light of the world. The light of the world? God said in the beginning, in the beginning God said, let there be light and there was light. But there's a spiritual light. There's a natural light and there's a spiritual light. Praise the Lord. There's a natural bread, there's a, a spiritual bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the word of God. Because the word is spiritual bread. I mean, you know, I said, well, how do you eat? Because and we're digesting the word even right now. And then our morning message, we've already heard and one we'll be hearing after this. So I'm just trying to say here today, folks, that God in his great wisdom, praise the Lord, has given us understanding of the word of God and that we might understand the Lord and, and bless his holy name. I'm going to move back over here very quickly to this uh, second chapter here. Uh, just going to finish up here, verse 14. But the natural man, this is 2, 14 of 1 Corinthians. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, chapter 3 and verse 3, and I'm going to close. I've got five minutes. I'm going to close with this. For ye are yet carnal. And then he starts talking to these Corinthians. The problem with you is that you're not spiritual they had the Holy Ghost. This is brought out in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. They had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. But they had become carnal, which means that any of us who even after we're saved can become carnal. And he said, ye are yet carnal. Whereas there are as many of that, I'm reading verse 3 here, 3, 3, 3. For you're carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, you're not, are you not carnal and walk as men? And he talks to them about how that they, uh, they just carnal. I'm going to, let me, and he talks about divisions among them. Let me, let me show you something here. And this is, thank God, this is not a factor with this church. If it is, I don't know about it. I don't, I don't think there is. I want to read some verses of scripture in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter one, verse 14. These all continued with one accord. This is 120 that was in the upper room when they began to pray and ask God to give them the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice the phrase, with one accord. That means in harmony, total harmony. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1, when the Holy Ghost fell upon them. 
the Holy Ghost is described in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I won't read the whole four verses, but look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Notice the one accord factor. Look at verse 14 in chapter 3. This is Peter standing up and preaching to the multitude about what God had just done and what he wanted to do with Israel. And the Bible says here in verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11, the 11, in other words, the apostles all standing up together. Can I just say it here in my own words in one accord? So that when Peter got to Acts 2.38 and he said, then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That was the message of salvation. Somebody says, well, Peter was wrong here in baptism. He says, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Matthew 28, 19 says, you got to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matthew was standing up with Jesus. You understand that? So when Peter stood up and preached this, Matthew was standing with him. They were all in one accord. And Matthew knew he was preaching it right because when Matthew said, go ye in all, and he was quoting Jesus, go ye in all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matthew knew that the name was the main factor. It didn't say names, S, it said name, N-A-M-E, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The name of the Father is the Son. Jesus, it says, Jesus came in my, I am come in my Father's name. So the name of the Father is Jesus, name of the Son is Jesus, name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus because they're all the same. That's why Jesus said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you've known the Father. The Father was the spirit in him and he was the flesh and the body that was on this earth. I won't go any further in detail, only to say that they were all in one accord when they all stood up together and Peter preached unto them. Let me move on just another verse of here. Uh, this is over in 424. And when they heard that, they lift up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. And these scriptures here are all brought out. Let me read another one here that's in 246. They continue daily with one accord. So I'm trying to show you the harmony that was in that early church. This is what made them so powerful. When a church has spiritual harmony and unity, and thank God we have that in this church. When you have that, it's a powerful thing. Praise God. And it comes about by being spiritual, by being prayerful, being mindful. The Bible says, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. But let's, let's be in church, folks. Let's go to church. Whatever your schedule in life is, try to work it in that you can be in the house of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, hearing by the word of God. How can we hear lest I be a preacher? So when we come to church, we hear the preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, and our faith is made stronger. I have gone to church in years, it's been years ago, but I have gone to church so low, I had to reach up touch bottom. They all say, lower than a gnat's heel. <laughs> That's pretty low. I have been so low and just squeaked in the back of the church, just sit down. And just said, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. And the Spirit of God would begin to move and singing and worship. And I could feel the presence of God. And I begin to say, thank you, Jesus. You're so good. I love you, Lord. Thank you for just being merciful to me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for being concerned. I don't know why. I don't know why he would ever care about me. But thank you, Lord, that you, you do and that you have and you will. 
Praise the Lord. And I just begin to worship God. And I'm going to tell you what, before that service is over, I was worshiping, praising God, thanking God, glorifying God. And when I left church that day, praise God, I had said, Lord, you'll never fail me. Your word is right. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't God good? Isn't God wonderful? Let's stand together and just praise him right now and thank him for his goodness and his glory and his power. Just stand and just worship God. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you, God. You're so good. You're so great. You're so wonderful. What a great God you are. Oh, God, you never fail us. You'll always be with us, Lord. Bless this congregation. Bless these dear saints of God. Give us your favor in all things, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.